Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. Thanks for joining us so much. It's another uh, sunny Friday afternoon. It's about a thousand degrees outside, and uh, I'm already tired of summer. Yeah, dude. You know, I would say um, it's Friday, so by that alone, I'm, I'm better than I've been any day this week. But, uh, man, we went from, like, like kind of warm spring to, like, dead of summer in no time. I feel like... Yeah. Well, we had a long kind of cool spring, and then we had a 700% humidity for two weeks, and it just... The air was leaky, and now it's... I mean, full-on 108-degree heat index. I just, you know, I hope this is one of those times where, like, it does this for a week, and then we get, like, a normal June, Yeah, you know? I, I think it's supposed to cool off this weekend. I I hope so. I just was looking at uh, weather, Oklahoma weather Twitter, and it uh, looks like we're going to maybe get some storms tonight. I don't know what that'll mean for temps on Saturday, Sunday. But well, so I think it's a cold front that comes down, and it's going to dry it out a little bit, but I think the storms are supposed to be up north. Ah, okay. This dry. is the content that the, our listeners the, came here for. The dry line's the weather not going dry, dry to make it far enough over for us to get the storms. That's correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You know what's awesome is dry that socket. this is a this is a, a political podcast, but it's a political podcast in Oklahoma, so we can use terms like dry line, and uh, all of our listeners will know what it means, and it's uh, it's true, and it's relevant. You know? I wonder if we could do a political report in the style of a weather report, like if we had a big map and we stood in front of it and like gestured wildly or had. I mean, this Some, is what Steve Kornacki does, right? That's like that's his, true. Yeah, that's, that's that's Steve Kornacki's whole thing. Yeah, like uh, someone could be Mike Morgan with like his little magician hands, and, uh, but not Mike Morgan though. Well, uh, no, I'm not gonna. No, I don't think he would be appropriate for this. <laughs> I mean, if I was gonna, I mean, I mean, if you were gonna, so we have three. I mean, which Damon? Which Oklahoma no, weather yeah. media personality would you be? Oh, Emily Sutton. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I think we have a lot in common. Uh, I've never met her. She seems nice. Um, I'm a I'm a David Payne fan. I, I've been a David Payne for fan for years. Yeah, man. <laughs> been a David Payne fan. I mean, and a jo- I'm a Jonathan Condor fan. I'm a I'm a David Payne and a Jonathan Condor fan. Well, it, it, we're in gardening clogs. This seems very up, <laughs> up, up your line. Yeah. I uh, I think well, uh, the if my mom died with any regrets, it might be that I didn't marry Emily Sutton. Oh, okay. I don't. Right. I, she really adored her and read her blog all the time and was always talking about her uh i've met her a few times she's lovely but she's she seems great and she i will say she is very good at her job yeah like she's, well, a, and she's, she's very she's reasonable and not excellent meteorologist person right i liked david payne when he was on the morning show at kf4 because morning shows are a little light-hearted and you can kind of joke around and yeah. stuff and that fit him now that he's on in the evenings you you just can't you can't put a comedian and doing serious weather that's like prime time you got to be focused and he's a little well so this is your problem you watch the you watch the evening weather newscast no i i only watch i only watch the weather when there's like gonna be weather yeah yeah in which case i will watch david Payne or yeah i will say i like emily sutton a lot or jonathan condor those kind of my main so for the severe coverage i like damon lane and i'll tell you why one i feel like he's more measured he's very even keeled there's no doubt do you remember the storm i guess three or four years ago that like went through more when it hit the i think it's the one that hit the the movie theater yeah 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 and it went through his neighborhood and hit his house yeah and he was like 
guiding you know he's like there's a 7-eleven here and there's a walmart here and if you're in, like he and everyone's like man this guy knows his stuff how do you know what's on these corners and then once it got through more he's like hang on and he left and came back because he had to go check in with his wife because she was home with the kids yeah i and, remember him saying like you need to be you need to be underground you need to be underground yeah yeah, yeah. unflappable so i'm any dude who can, or, or do that, uh, any person who can do that, um, knowing that their own family is in peril, and um, the and keep a cool head, I think uh, deserves my yeah respect, my eyeballs, yeah yeah for sure. Okay, all right, I, I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, um, Bailey is not here with us today. Bailey uh, is getting married and several other things going on this summer. So she, she told us she's going to take a break for uh, several weeks from the podcast. So, um, you guys are just stuck with Scott and me and any guests that we, uh, rope into this show over the summer. I imagine we'll probably try to line up somebody. So you guys, you guys get bored if it's just us. Well, don't, don't give them that. It's maybe not the case. Did you ever get bored with Josh Molina and Rishi Hirway on the West wing weekly? I mean, touche, but those are some, those are some serious shoes to fill. That's right. Clearly, I'm Rishi and you were Josh. <laughs> I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Uh, although I am, I am not remotely musical, but you are more theatrical. I'll say. I yes, I think that's. Speaking accurate. of which, are you guys watching uh, In the Heights this weekend? Uh, that is our plan. Yes, that is our plan. We haven't figured out exactly like what that looks like yet, but I I can't imagine we're going to get to Monday and have not watched In the Heights. Right. Yeah, I started watching it yesterday and about 15 seconds in i was like what am i doing i don't have time to, <laughs> to it was like during lunch and i was like okay i'm not i I'm I, I read a review today um of it that said uh it is definitely the best movie musical in decades and that it may wind up on like a list of like the top two or three of all time like apparently it's absolutely phenomenal that's interesting i, I mean the show have, is phenomenal i have uh mixed feelings about people who say something that giant about a brand new thing yeah i i i concur um and you know it may be the, this guy, this reviewer, may be totally wrong. But so, for listeners, if you're not uh, familiar, In the Heights is the debut musical, or was the debut musical in 2008, of one Lin Manuel Miranda. Um, he it was his first uh, composition. I, I think his first composition that he like uh, put on Broadway. Um, he won a Tony for it, multiple Tonys for it. He was kind of it was it led to him winning a MacArthur Genius Grant. Um, um, you know, for many people, that would be the height of the, you know, that would be like the culmination of their work. They've kind of achieved what they were sent here to do. Um, Lin-Manuel took those, uh, took those accolades and spent the next seven years, um, working on a project called Hamilton, right. um, which you may have heard <laughs> which of, which you may or may not have heard of. So, um, it's from the writer, the, the writer of Hamilton and it's, uh, the story of a, uh, a, a, community of i believe puerto rican immigrants living in uh um washington heights in new york city and kind of what life is like for them as immigrants in the in the united states um the score is phenomenal the book is outstanding um this unlike the unlike the the uh, uh movie hamilton that was recently released um that was that was a the the hamilton that came out on video was a filming of 
uh, a stage performance done by the original cast. By all accounts, it is phenomenal. This is not that. This is an actual movie. It's directed by John Chu, uh, who um, is probably best known. I, to me, he's best known for the movie Crazy Rich Asians. Um, if you've not seen it, you should absolutely go see that. Um, um, but apparently, apparently, the faithfulness to the faithfulness to the stage production is incredible. The cast is incredible. They all sing, which is awesome. Like they all do their own choreography, which is fantastic. Apparently, it's just the cinematography. It was shot in New York, and it's just really well done so that is a very long way of answering your question andrew which is to say yes i plan on watching in the heights <laughs> this weekend um listeners i don't i can't remember we've been doing this for a hundred how many how many episodes now? 170 i believe you know 170 episodes later i don't remember how much time i've spent here on the show talking about my um love affair with uh broadway and musical theater specifically but suffice it to say it's it's serious. Yeah, I, that's fair. I also remember a, a uh, endearing episode where we, dis- I think, with Crystal Yosef, where we maybe we had two episodes. I think where we oh, talked lifetime about lifetime movies. Lifetime movies. Yeah, man. Okay, the well, Blue Eyed Butcher. If you haven't watched it, you got to check it out. That's right. Yeah, we should probably talk about some government and politics for a little bit uh, before everyone unsubscribes. Say what? But also, I will just say, listeners, if this is at all uh, helpful. In, in even allowing you to disconnect from reality for a brief time before we dive back in, please don't forget, if you haven't already, and hell, even if you have, go to your podcast application and rate and review Let's Pod This. Uh, so far, I believe we are still the highest rated Oklahoma Politics podcast. Yeah, but only do that if you're going to give us a good rating. Five stars. Yeah. Five stars. We accept nothing less but five stars. That's right. Uh, if you have an issue with something, please send us an email at podcast at letsfixthis.org. Okay, Scott, there's uh, this is <laughs> the reason we're rambling is that it's been a relatively quiet week. Most of the legislators are on vacation. Uh, I know Representative Eccles, it was his uh, anniversary, and they took a trip. So a lot of folks are out of town. But that where's Le- where's Leader Eccles? Where did they go? Uh, Hawaii, I think. Nice. A lot of nice. folks have uh, traveled across the ocean to Mexico or the Dominican Republic or Hawaii. I have not. I'm still here. I, I, one person that I don't know if he's in the state or not, but Governor Stitt has three bills remaining to sign or yep, veto. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, so he's got two. So he is, as of today, he has signed one. So he has signed House Joint Resolution 1046, which is uh, the annual administrative rules resolution that talks about, you know, like what agencies can and can't do and how they can and can't do it. So that has been signed. There are two remaining. There is uh, House Bill 1010 and then Senate Bill 0236. So House Bill 1010, and you know more about this than I do, uh, Andy. This is this is a bill that would create an advisory council on traumatic brain injury, um, and it's a council that if we don't have it, we can't get federal funds to investigate traumatic brain injury. Is that is that? Right? Yes, that's my understanding. Yeah, uh, and then the other one, Senate Bill uh, 236, is a sales tax exemption on any clothes that are purchased by Operation School Bell, which is a local nonprofit um, that would then distribute these clothes to um, folks that are uh, disadvantaged. So this is a bill that presumably would would get them uh, a sales tax exemption. So many nonprofits, when they go buy stuff, you can present a form that shows your 
part of a 501c3 that is exempt from paying sales tax and they'll and they'll uh, take that off of your bill at the point of sale. Um, and I'll, I'll jump in like a, a point that I think a lot of folks may not know is that not all not all nonprofits are tax exempt um, in this way, right? So we think of we think of nonprofits being charities and that means that they don't they don't have to pay income tax on their revenue, which is true, but only in Oklahoma only certain ones also don't have to pay sales tax and that sales tax exemption must be approved by the state legislature and it is relatively difficult to get um, from my experience in trying to for various groups and so often it is like this for a specific type of product but they did it like the legislature approved this and sent it to the governor um, who has not yet signed it, which um, uh, listeners will recall that in session, if the governor is presented with a bill and declines to sign it, the bill uh, becomes law without his signature. Like a pocket signature. Correct. However, once session is over, uh, if the governor is presented with a bill that he declines to sign, uh, then it becomes a pocket veto. Um, I don't, you know, I mean... Long time or any time listeners will be unsurprised to know that I fail to understand the governor's logic on uh, <laughs> any number of decisions that, that he makes. Um, it's not clear to me why we would veto bills that are looking at traumatic brain injury and um, um, giving a sales tax exemption for an organization that looks like it buys coats for kids. I don't. I don't like for sure get that. Uh, I assume that there aren't any, you know, freedom implications. It had anything to do with eating meat. Um, you know, no. probably it's not something to do with like vaccines or, you know, taking away the rights of parents to choose something. I don't think there's anything about abortion. So I'm, I'm, what? I'm puzzled why Governor Stitt would choose these two not to sign. But what if it's uh? <laughs> what if he's like we don't need this federal money in this year of all years that would be I mean, just an asinine response i don't so think that that's when, it, so that when he's running for president in 2024 he can say i declined to take federal funds from from washington to study the brains of you, people who have hurt their brains you can't say i mean of all the years this is not the year to say anything about declining to accept federal funds well because we needed it and we should have taken more in in many cases so you know and it's been helpful it's a it's a puzzle it's It's a puzzle puzzle. all right well um so that's that's what's for legislative activity i think right yeah so when's the deadline for him to sign midnight today oh so he could still sign them today I mean, yeah, but he's already signed one today, so he's going to like, you know what? I think I'll sign the joint resolution at 2. I'll go uh, to happy hour, have a cocktail, uh, mull it over, and then I'll come back. And uh, this evening, about 5, I'll sign the Senate bill, and then I'm, I'm going to take the House bill down to the wire. We'll sign that one at 11.58. He might, maybe he had stuff to do. Maybe he had to, uh, you know, do some kind of, I don't know, meeting. He's a governor. He's got stuff going on. It's not like just sitting around the, the Capitol. Does he? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't have evidence to the contrary, and so I'm going to assume that our governor, whoever it might be, has things to do every day, even on Fridays in June. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, let's pivot and talk about open records, another issue that's near and dear to my heart. Oh, uh, for sure. So uh, 
today, Nondoc um, announced that they have filed a lawsuit seeking uh, what's called the Jones Day Report from OU. Uh, and this goes back to allegations of sexual misconduct against former president, OU President David Boren. As well as Trip Hall. Yes. And there was a uh, report during that investigation that is supposed to be have been made public. And the university, who has repeatedly flaunted the Open Meetings Act, the Board of Regents um, has, they uh, have kept refusing to release it, giving various reasons, including citing the open records law, some of the exemptions therein, um, which, in the opinion of Nondoc and uh, uh, attorney Katie Beth Gardner, um, who is a, a friend and colleague of mine, they are incorrect in how they are applying the law, so they sued him. And I say good for Nondoc. Now, a little bit about Katie Beth Gardner, um, for listeners who may not know, she is employed by an organization called the Reporters Committee for the Freedom of the Press. They're a national organization. And last year, early in 2020, they announced Oklahoma as one of the recipients for funds that is part of their local legal initiative. So basically they they picked five or eight states to basically hire an attorney and say, we're paying for them. Here's a full-time attorney to support journalists in your state in uh, the pursuit of transparency, specifically the Open Records Act and Open Meeting Act type things. Um, and so Katie Beth has been a tremendous asset. In, in fact, in just the last few weeks, um, I think the last month, she has filed four lawsuits on behalf of media organizations. The Oklahoma Watch versus Epic Charter Schools was the first one. Osage News versus Osage Nation Trial Court, the Frontier versus Pottawatomie County Jail Trust, and then this Nondoc versus OU, which is great. I mean, I uh, I shared that the today's story with the board of uh, FOI Oklahoma, and thought, I mean, Katie Beth is earning her keep. FOI, I will say, is um, one of the members of the coalition that applied for these funds to get Katie Beth here. She's a native Oklahoman and it's been really great. Uh, in fact, over the last couple of months, she has partnered with us to do a uh, a lunch, a monthly lunch and learn series about government transparency, open records, open meeting act. It's been really beneficial and it's exciting. I think, Scott, I, I'll get your perspective, but it feels like these are the kind of things that we all know we need and there was a pent up need for it, right? That none of these organizations really had money to like pay the legal fees of someone to file this kind of stuff. And so just to have someone like not even on retainer, but just like bought and paid for like her salary is paid. There's no fee for service. She does this, you know, 40 hours a week. This has been a really good thing for journalism in Oklahoma. No, I mean, I totally agree. And especially because you think about organizations like non-doc, like Oklahoma watch, um, these are in, in Frontier. Um, I believe none of these are organizations that require like a subscription, right? Like, if you want to support Frontier, you donate. If you want to support Nondoc, you donate. I think the same is true for Oklahoma Watch, right? Like, these are all yeah, they're all nonprofits. Are, these yeah. are all nonprofit, independent journalistic entities. They're not supported by ad sales. They're not supported by subscription services. So, like, they're on the one hand, they don't have some of the like I think maybe. Uh, constraints that a more traditional newsroom might have, but they also don't have the resources, right? And you want to talk about filing a lawsuit against 
uh, the University of Oklahoma. I mean, that's like, talk about like a David and, and Goliath situation, right? And so I think one thing, I think one thing that sometimes deters big entities um, from feeling like they need to comply with, you know, transparency or, you know, requests for, you know, requests for documents, etc. They say like, hey, we're going to say no. What are they going to do? Sue us? Like, they don't have, you know, organization X, Y, and Z, individual, you know, person X doesn't have the resources to take the University of Oklahoma to court. So, so having someone who like, this is their job that's being paid by an outside entity, I think is, is hugely helpful. I think one thing that is important to remember too, is that the Jones Day report didn't, and I mean, this is my understanding, Andy, tell me if I'm wrong. The Jones Day report doesn't just have to do with sexual misconduct by um, former President Bourne and, and Trip Hall, although those are certainly uh, serious allegations that, if true, um, have caused you know an incredible amount of harm to to several people. But there are also very serious um, allegations of financial malfeasance, right? Right. Um, yeah. Of you know not reporting uh, universities, the university's funds uh, accurately, of misrepresenting fundraising reports, of misrepresenting just really the financial state of the university. Um, Altogether, you know, I think. I mean, I was at OU <coughs> when uh, David Boren was in charge, um, and man, the guy had like almost like myth status on campus. And I think that the conventional wisdom was that he was leaving the university in a much much stronger place than he found it. And um, you know, this is a report that if you know if those allegations that were made by the subsequent president that was appointed by the the governor um <clears throat> if those are true or excuse me appointed by the regents if those allegations are true then then i mean that's a that's a big deal it is right? a big deal yeah like and i and i don't want to say that that like i, I want to be really clear i am not in any way saying that that does or should take precedence over take precedence over allegations of like sexual harassment sexual assault etc because those are clearly like those are like of like paramount importance but in addition to those yeah there's this other um allegation of really kind of mismanaging the university in a big way and then that's you know it's a large state-funded institution um our tax dollars paid for this investigation um and our we deserve to know what the results were yeah no, hundred percent. Yeah, I you know I think everyone in Oklahoma has felt the impact of whatever's happened with David Boren, right? Like when these allegations came out, both the uh, sexual misconduct and the financial ones, it I mean it rocked at least. I mean Oklahoma City. I don't know. Maybe folks in Stillwater <laughs> didn't feel as affected by it, but it would be akin to you know Burns Hargis retiring and then having the same kind of accusations come out. It was. Uh, was and still is a big deal um and it's tough right like this is the kind of thing that i think shakes people's confidence in institutions uh, and institutions of of government because uh, you know the higher education is an extension of of our state government and that's a big deal um so i'm interested to read it as i'm sure many of our listeners are um and you know just to to clarify non-doc and and katie beth gardner didn't just file this lawsuit willy-nilly and not just like 
it was this wasn't the uh, first shot fired in the war, right? They've been asking, going through proper channels for months and months, and after being met at each turn with a no, they said, okay, well, the only option left is to go to court. We gave the university lots of opportunities to do the right thing. And Scott, as you said, this is public information. It was paid for with public funds. The public has a right, literally has a legal right in the law to know. Yeah, it is also you know um, I I sit on a state board I I know you have sat on a state board in the past I'm not sure if you still do or not yeah um, that are subject to open records and it's like like in our meetings our staff like we're so careful to make sure that we do everything by like the letter of the law and it just you know it just like and we have times where like there are press that are there for the public portion of our meetings and we go into executive session and like they have to leave and they come back or whatever. And it's like, I just, my, my mind boggles a little bit that there are just these entities that are like, no, that doesn't apply to Man, us. Dude, I will tell you, like it blows my mind that people think that like, Hey, I, I know that's the rule, but nah, I get phone calls every week about this cities, like municipalities, and local law enforcement are the worst. Oh, I'm sure. And the only thing that's going to change is when they start getting popped with lawsuits, not just because the lawsuit will make them have to comply, but because in the law, if you are the if you lose, you're going to pay legal fees too, right? So basically it's it's a way to not just say, "Okay, you got to give it up," because I think a lot of like a lot of these entities will will just say no as a way to be like, yeah, well, get a judge to make me. Well, the judge will make you, but also you're going to pay for our attorney, and that hurts, right? Like, it's no one is out seeking to do financial harm. We're just trying to get the documents to which we're legally entitled. Speaking of uh, cities and municipalities uh, trying to do things to circumvent the Open Records Act, there was a uh, Open Records Act, Open <laughs> Records Act. There was uh, quite the uh, county commissioner's meeting this week here in Oklahoma County. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this was Monday. I, I was paying, I was paying a lot of attention to that meeting, a lot of attention to the city council meeting. I want to say county commissioners was on Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so we don't have to recall, we don't have to recount all the details of the meeting, but um, as per usual, this has happened multiple times now um, in the meeting, uh, commissioner Calvi moved. Um, so first he moved to like bring, we should back up and tell them what's a, what it's about. It's about redistricting yeah, the yeah. three county commissioner districts. You, well, you want to do it? Okay. Yes. We can, okay, we'll do it that way then. You talk about that and then I'll say what happened. I, this is what people want to know what the, what the meeting is about. The yeah. meeting is about a lot of things. Specifically, the issue at hand is about county redistricting. So after the state and congressional districts are drawn. Well, they haven't done congressional districts yet. Right. So state is so the state the legislature has done state districts, right? P- preliminary. Yes. Yes. But they have not yet done congressional districts. Correct. Um, and uh, the county is responsible for doing their own districts as well. Right. Oklahoma. After those other ones are drawn. And as uh, listeners, I think will remember because we've talked about it here on the show before, every county in Oklahoma, all seventy-seven, has three districts. Each one has a county commissioner. So if you live in Oklahoma County that has I don't know, give or take a million people, you have three county commissioners. If you live in god i don't know i don't know how many people blaine county has but i bet it's less than a million um (laughs) yes if you live if you live in blaine county and there are way less than a million people um then uh you also have three county commissioners every county in oklahoma has three county commissioners um and the counties are responsible for how many people in blaine county i can tell you just looked it up 
Yes, uh, nine thousand five hundred and fifty-six. Yeah. Okay. So if you're one of the <laughs> if you are one of the nine thousand uh, five hundred and fifty-six residents of Blaine County, one, God bless you, and two, you also have uh, three county commissioners, one for each three thousand people. Um, so. Um, that was the subject of this portion of the meeting. There was uh, an agenda item to uh, talk about the redistricting process. Um, Commissioner Calvi, I I want to say I don't have the I don't have it in front of me. I believe that he moved um, to bring the item earlier than it was on the agenda. So he said I want to I want to bring this up now instead of when it's supposed to come up later. Yep. That was seconded by Commissioner Mon immediately, and they voted to do that. Then Commissioner Calvi said he moves to give the state legislator, the state legislative staff, so the staff of the um, House and the Senate. He wants to give, and is it the House specifically? I don't recall, but that makes sense. I think it's the house. the house. I think it's the House specifically. He moves to give the House staff the authority to redistrict county commissioner districts um commissioner mon uh immediately agrees they vote or seconds they vote and then they vote it down two to one I mean, the whole thing took like two minutes i mean yeah. it's almost it's i want to be very careful with my language here if i didn't know that it was against the law for county commissioners to like collude and meet and talk about things beforehand because that would be a violation of the open meetings act and i want to be very clear i am not alleging that that happened because i don't know what happened at all um and i assume that they know but but if i if i didn't know that that was against the law I would almost think that they had talked about it beforehand. Um, it does make one wonder, doesn't it? You know, it? is that is that a good way to say that? I, I think so. I want yeah. to make very clear. I'm not, I'm not accusing anyone of anything. Um, I'm just saying that that's if I didn't know better, that's that's what it would make me think. That's, and yes. then and and then the, and then the interesting thing about this is, um, if my understanding is correct, county commissioners' meetings, including meetings where they discuss redistricting of uh, the county commissioners' districts, they are subject to the Open Records Act. Yes. However. State legislators and their staff and the state legislature itself are not subject to the open meetings and open records. So if the state legislative staff does the redistricting process for Oklahoma County, um, that's not subject to open records. That's correct. Which means it can be done in secret, behind closed doors. I don't know if it's. I don't know if rooms are filled with like cigar smoke anymore. It's probably like grape flavored vapes. But like, <laughs> but in some grape flavored vape filled room, someone will be drawing our county commissioner districts, and we'll never know who or why or how. Yeah. So the legislative staff are not bad people. They're doing a job. They actually like care about how they draw maps. But they draw the maps based on what they're you know, boss tells them to do, right? Like, we want you to draw it and we want you to prioritize prioritize these things and draw it in this way and, and don't consider these things and whatever, right? And then they're the ones that, like, actually do it. Um, and and so we'll see what happens. But, yes, the, the point is, even if they're not intentionally trying to, it sure seems like this is a way to circumvent... A pub, which should be a public process, right? Now, obviously, everyone knows that I'm a big proponent of having citizen-led commissions to do redistricting at the state level, at the federal level, at the county level, even at the city level. I would love to see Oklahoma City and Tulsa city councils form some kind of citizen commission to at least advise, right? Chicago has a, a great citizen commission that is advising them on redistricting. 
And I, uh, if anyone from the city is listening, I've already spoken to a couple of city councilors about this. I think it's a good idea. And it hurts nothing. It can only help. Yeah, I so, agree. Um, the other thing about the county commissioner's meeting is that Commissioner Blumert proposed a number of amendments that were dismissed out of hand. They were just tabled immediately and um, not even discussed, refused. He, I think Commissioner Calvi moved to table one, and he's like, I just table all of them. And Commissioner Blumert said, wait, all of them? He said, yes, and just moved on. And she was like, I get you not liking one, but why would you just table all of them? Can I, can I say why? <laughs> yes <laughs> I I don't think I should <laughs> I would say something dis- I'll I'll keep my thoughts to myself <laughs> I'll have a I'll go have a scotch and then talk about it <laughs> <laughs> that sounds <laughs> it's not, it's we not should fun. start a Patreon only for those conversations <laughs> right if you want if you want to hear what Scott says when he's had a whiskey <laughs> well another whiskey listen to um, the first 50 episodes of this yeah. podcast <laughs> we uh, you know it's true we we have not we've not been drinking as much when we when we pod recently well it's not the same to share a drink over a zoom I mean, it's, that's a factual statement to, uh, listeners today we are in scott's basement having margaritas that's yeah, true uh it is uh it is it's not uh it's not upper room studios now it's I don't know, what, what, lower what, room yeah what we call this uh Dungeon Studios. Well, so what's <laughs> funny about that is that uh, Trace at Nondoc or Nondoc, including Trace Savage, they have their podcast, which is live from the News Dungeon, and it's a good podcast. It's not. It is. It's not the number one political podcast in Oklahoma. It's not even about politics anymore. They tried that for a while, and it this is really just entertainment, and it's really good. It's I've learned something, and I laugh with every episode. Uh, then this week, I was talking to Ted Struley at Oklahoma Watch, who their office is in. I think in Norman, and he said, oh, we have a basement office as well. That's why you guys have like a a dueling dungeons here. And yet, now we find ourselves in, in the a dungeon. Basement. Yeah. Maybe this is how it, we're all going underground. It's a nice dungeon, though. There's windows. Right. But, <laughs> but like a dungeon. <laughs> windows in prison. <laughs> but, like a, but like a dungeon, they're at the ceiling, and, and being that I'm only 5'7", I can't reach them. So <laughs> <clears throat> you can probably reach them. I can, yeah. Um, all right, well, let's, since we, we went from the state to the county, let's go down to the city level. Indeed. Because, uh, listeners, on your radar should be the fact that there is a um, mayoral election next, Feb- is it February? Yes. It's early in the year. I feel like it's always in February. Um, and so uh, Oklahoma City Mayor Holt, I know, will be up for re-election. He is campaigning. And as far as I know, he has two challengers now. One from the right, and I guess one from the left. <laughs> this is the plight of a moderate. <laughs> right? They're coming at you from all sides. Yeah, so um, who is who is challenging him from the right? I forget. Uh, I can't remember his name, but um, he is a, from my understanding, from the multiple reports I've seen, a, a, a we'll say a firmly conservative individual, pro-Trump, anti-mask, all of, sure. All of those things. Sure. But he also has another challenge. So Jimmy Lawson, who is a uh, a lifelong resident of Oklahoma City. He is an activist. He is, I believe he's a professor he's as well. He's a finance professor. Yeah, I don't. He Where does he teach? Do you know? Uh, is it at Rose State? I think he's State? at Rose State, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, um, I don't know. I don't know Mr. Lawson. He's been, you know, he's been... Uh, I think 
in in the news and pretty visible. He's a he's a lifelong best friend and advocate for Julius Jones, which you know, um, oh, Julius yeah. Jones's case is not something we've spent a lot of time on here on the show. We probably we actually should do that. Like note to self that we should we should talk about that. But um, um, Julius Jones, who's an inmate who's currently on death row, who many people are advocating for his uh, sentence to be commuted by the governor. Um, uh, he has announced that he will uh, be challenging Mayor David Holt. Um, if he was elected, he would be the first, I believe he would be the first black man or the first black person yeah. uh, to serve as mayor of Oklahoma City in our history. So, uh, you know, this is, um, um, I, I would say, I think, I think the mayor's race might have just got interesting. <laughs> this just got interesting. Yeah, I think it just, I think it just got interesting. Um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, and yes, the uh, mayor's, the mayoral primary is scheduled for February 8th, 2022. I will say this is a uh, excellent example of why we should have ranked choice voting. Fact. Because, uh, one, you have multiple candidates. The mayoral race, like all city council races, are already nonpartisan, right? So no one has a political affiliation. They, not a not on the ballot, right? Yeah. Like, you can, they may have one, and you can ask them, and they might tell you. <laughs> if you look up David Holt, it will say Republican. But. Right. He's, re- I mean, he's easy, because he was in the, in the Senate, but... Um, but it's not on the ballot, so you can't vote like straight ticket according to one party. Um, and so people have to pick their favorite candidate. And in this example, here's why I will say that it ranked choice voting would make sense because we'll have a we'll have a primary and then we'll have a general um, following that. And so if if well, I guess if no one wins more than fifty percent in the primary then we'll have a general, right? But if if one of the candidates pulls out 51% and the other two split the other half, then that person wins. I believe that is correct. And so, um, you know, what I think, because it's non, yeah, because it's nonpartisan, you know, what's interesting is that for statewide races, like we'll have next year, um, like state legislature and, well, statewide meaning the governor, lieutenant governor, yeah, labor commissioner, attorney general, all that stuff. Um, if you are an independent, there's no primary because you yeah. don't have a party, so you're automatically on the general ballot. Absolutely. And I think we might see uh, something happen next year. We haven't seen for a long time. Are if you the, running for governor? I'm not running for governor. Um, I was something that hasn't happened in several decades. I have never run for governor, and I <laughs> am not running next year. Um, but if there is an independent candidate and a strong democratic challenger which seems unlikely at this point but who knows <laughs> um that we could have a governor who is elected with less than a majority yep. of the vote yep right they uh, this last happened with governor brad henry i believe yep. where he won something like 47 or 48 percent of the vote and then there were there was a republican and an independent who split the rest uh, a strong independent who eroded the Republican support, and that meant that the winner didn't even get elected by half. Ranked choice voting, also referred to as instant runoff voting, helps uh, eliminate this because when all the votes are cast, you rank your first choice, second choice, third choice, on down, as many as you'd want. You can only put one. You can just put your first choice and turn it in if you'd like. That's totally fine. But you could rank them. And then when they tabulate them, right, whoever has the least number, if no one wins 50%, then they take whoever was lowest and uh, basically pull them off, and then they redistribute those 
ballots based on their second choice to the other candidates in subsequent rounds until someone has more than 50%. And we will see this play out soon in, in the uh, New York City mayoral race. In the Big Apple, right. That's yeah. right. Andrew Yang is, uh, I think, perhaps the favorite right now. Uh, I think he's. I think. I think the conventional wisdom would say he's the favorite in the polling. I want to say he's third right now. Well, so this is where ranked choice voting uh, makes no, it interesting. It's true, because right? no one is doing a true ranked choice poll, which um is matters. So that's it. it turns out, yeah, yeah. Turns we're out. all flying blind here. Uh, I mean, it's it uh, is going to be a a brave new world. So, yeah, that's kind of what's gone on this week. Have we missed? I don't think we've missed anything big. One thing I'll say, this is, just, uh, this is there's not a lot to say about this. Uh, so far, I think we said last week, 50,000 people had signed up for, uh, for uh, Sooner Care here in Oklahoma as part of Medicaid expansion. This week, we're at over 100,000. Um, estimates were that we would see about 200,000 people that are newly eligible for Sooner Care in Oklahoma. It looks like, I mean, I, I'm not saying we're going to blow past it, but I'm saying it's possible. Um, uh, estimates are that... Um, Medicaid expansion is going to have a 1.35 billion with a B, uh, 1.35 billion dollar impact, uh, uh, economic impact here in Oklahoma. I don't know about you, Andy. Um, I could use next to 1.35 billion dollars. Um, yes. I, I, you know, I think I think that's true for most people. Certainly, the state of Oklahoma. So that's uh, that's some good news. I think we've got, you know, um, summer is here. Uh, there's stuff that happens in the summer. We've got interim studies that'll be going on. Um, we'll see, uh, you know, kind of new laws that, uh, laws that take effect, laws that were, uh, passed with an emergency, see how those take effect. There's going to be a lot to watch with Medicaid expansion. Um, you know, we're talking about, there's a big discussion in Oklahoma city right now, uh, about policing and what policing in Oklahoma city looks like. The uh, city budget passed this week, uh, with a record $240 million allocated for the Oklahoma city police department. How, um, how much? $240 million. Ooh. That's a record. That's uh, like twenty five percent of the budget ish, something like that. Um, is that percentage higher than normal too? That I don't know the answer. Because this is my deal. I mean, that's a, you're, 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 I I already know your point, and it is well taken. Um, that like <laughs> money goes it, up. Yeah, if it's if it's higher in absolute terms, but not percentage terms, then that's not a meaningful difference. But um, um, but I think we're gonna have uh, one or two episodes later this summer where we kind of talk about uh policing with some folks and what that looks like in our communities um uh i will also say today is what june the 11th um we have uh here in then i guess eight days the next week or so um will be the celebration of juneteenth which we spoke uh, quite a bit about last year yeah um so if you uh if you don't have plans on june the 19th um go to a juneteenth celebration yeah for sure i would say i agree so all right well on that note we're going to in the program here. I will also follow up with one tidbit and uh, fun factoid that the uh, that Blaine County, the uh, county seat is the Virgin Metropolis of Watonga, Also, actor, voice actor Nash is from Blaine County. You may know Nash. Nash. He was the voice of Double Don't say we didn't teach anything this week. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next week.